Matthew 6, 1-18, hear the word of the Lord. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. I was returning from a trip and was in a taxi returning to my house from the Guadalajara airport. And I was sitting in the front seat and I struck up a conversation with the taxi driver. And I began to ask him about his faith and I began to talk to him about Christ. Now, normally, it's a good thing to talk with people about Christ. In fact, it's command of Scripture. Christ has told us to talk to people about Christ, and so normally it's a a good and worthy and noble thing to do. Uh, Especially, well, if you're a Christian, and then if you're a pastor and a missionary, of course, that's what you should do, right? Well, that's what I should have done, but there was something very amiss about what I was doing. Um, I wasn't sharing the gospel primarily for the glory of Christ and the extension of God's kingdom. And I wasn't sharing the gospel with a deep motivation of love for this particular taxi driver. To my shame, I have to admit that I was most aware of the fact that my supervisor was in the back seat. And he was visiting Guadalajara and was going to spend some days observing the work there. And I was ashamed to realize that I was motivated mostly because I wanted to impress my supervisor. So it's not only what we do, but it's also a question of why we do it. 
the question of motivation. And that's what this text gets at, the motivations for doing good things. And what we're going to do is we're going to take three weeks in this same text, and we're going to work from the outside in. In the middle of this text, we have the Lord's Prayer, and we will finish with the Lord's Prayer. Around the Lord's Prayer, there is teaching about prayer. And so next week, we'll focus on the teaching about prayer. But outside of that teaching on prayer, there is teaching about motivation for doing the righteous acts that we should do as Christians. And he mentions three in particular that we will look at today, and then we'll be focusing more and more uh, on prayer as the text does as well. Not only what we do, but why we do it. And the general principle is in verse 1, where Jesus says, Beware, be careful about this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So, it's not a prohibition of practicing righteousness that other people can see, because some of the things that are mentioned here are visible activities. Some of them aren't, and others are visible activities. But he's, he's not saying that we, our, our good deeds should never be seen by others, but he's saying don't do them in order to be seen by others. So he's getting at the level of our, our motives And uh, actually, back in chapter 15, I'm sorry, in chapter 5, verse 16, you will see that he has already told us that our good deeds should be visible to other people. Look at chapter 5, verse 16, just turning back one chapter. He says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may, what's it say? See. See your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So it's not that some of these works will not be seen. In fact, Jesus said, these good works should be seen, but the motivation should not be, so that they might see your good works and glorify you. But rather so that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now Jesus mentioned this type of doing good things with bad motives as hypocritical. Verse 1 still, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then he gives three examples, and he calls them hypocritical examples. And what's hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is play-acting. It is pretending to be something that we are not. So he says, Beware of that. And he mentions three activities. The first activity is giving to the needy, verses 2 to 4. The second activity is praying, uh, verses 5 and 6, and then all the way through the instruction on the Lord's Prayer in verse 15. And then the third activity is fasting, voluntarily going without food for a period, and that's in verses 16 uh, to 18. But before we look at these three activities, I want you to notice something. Jesus said, when... He said, when. He didn't say, if. He said, when. He said, when you give to the needy, when you pray, and when you fast. So he was assuming that these are activities that Christians do. He wasn't urging these upon us. He was assuming that we give to the needy, assuming that we pray, 
and assuming that we practice fasting as well. And he says, when you do these things, be careful not to do them this way, but make sure you do them that way. So let's look at these three activities and see how this plays out. These, these two ways of doing these activities. Verse 2, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. They had this practice of announcing their big gifts, trumpet blasts, uh, so that people might see that the, the wealthy people were, were giving of their offerings, uh, ringing bells and playing trumpets to show off the fact that they were being generous. We have modern ways of doing that, don't we? We have those big checks, you know, that are presented in, in the, uh, uh, the presentation ceremonies, and there is the, the benefactor who's beaming, and uh, his company or his name or her name is on this big check, and it's a way of sounding the trumpet and announcing how very generous that person has been. Now, uh, he says, don't do that, uh, because if you do that, you will receive your reward. You'll already have your reward, the applause of the people. He says, that's what the hypocrites do. He says, rather, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't make a big, make a big deal about it. Uh, don't try to announce it to others. And don't even try to announce it to yourself. Try to forget about it as soon as you can and not be concerned about what you have just done. Because if you do that... Your giving will be in secret, verse 4, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, let's think about this. It says, when you give. A normal Christian activity. Some statistics, hard statistics, are hard to come up with because probably there are people who are doing it in secret and don't want anybody to know about it. But there are polls, there are surveys about, uh, about giving. And it, it seems that, in the United States anyway, 37% of churchgoers give this much. Zero. So over a third of those who consider themselves Christians give nothing to charity or to their churches. And then, uh, among those who give regularly... Somewhere between three and five percent, three and five percent, do what's called tithing. And tithing comes from the Old Testament, and it is giving ten percent of one's income. So this is the, the tradition that we have from the Old Testament, and, uh, it, uh, flows into the New Testament as something that, that Jesus interacted with. It's not repeated in the New Testament. Actually, in the New Testament, there's, there's the encouragement to be even more generous than that. But instead of building on that Old Testament basis, only three to five percent of those who regularly attend church give the tithe. Um, however, when they are asked, and this is an interesting statistic, when they are asked if they tithe, 17% of Americans say that they do. Interesting, isn't it? That only 3 to 5% of churchgoers actually do tithe, but 17% of Americans in general say that they do tithe. So they're wanting the reputation of being givers, but not the reality of actually giving. Um, Christians in the United States 
give on average about 2.5% of their income. This is less than Christians gave during the Great Depression, uh, where it was about 3.3%. Now we've gone down from that to about 2.5%. And the, the startling thing about this is that that doesn't differ from the general population. The general American population gives somewhere in that range. And so Christians are not any more generous in general than the general population. Now that's of a concern, and so it looks like we need to learn two things. We need to learn, one, generosity. We need to learn what Jesus was saying when he said, when you give. And then we learn, need to learn to be able to give not for the credit that we might receive before others. As those 17%, well, I guess if you take away 3 to 5%, so let's say about 12%, somewhere in there, are making it up. They're, they're boasting about giving that they're really not giving after all. That's the first one. When you give to the needy. The second one is when you pray. It looks like we as Christians are doing a bit better in that. The polls show that about 80% of evangelical Christians pray daily. They pray daily. So it looks like we're more engaged in prayer than we are in giving away of our means. Um, But what he says here in verse 5, the same formula, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, Jesus is not saying that we should never pray in public. We just did, didn't we? We prayed in public. He's not saying that we shouldn't do that. And in fact, he did that sometimes. We find that the apostles did that. We find examples of public prayer in the New Testament. So he's not forbidding public prayer, but he's emphasizing that we as individuals need to develop the habit of private prayer. And when those 80% of evangelicals say that they pray every day, I'm not sure what that means. I don't know if that's uh, you know, an hour of prayer or a mumbled prayer before breakfast. I, I don't know what that is. It probably includes all of that. But Jesus is saying this. Uh, when you pray, verse 6, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. So he's, he's urging us to develop a habit of private prayer, a time of prayer. Uh, n- prayer on the run is a wonderful thing. A prayer before meals is a fabulous thing. Uh, A prayer as we're going to bed or getting up in the morning. Uh, Having a a constant conversation of prayer throughout the day is, is a wonderful practice to develop. But he's saying here, also, a practice of of getting aside, shutting out all of the distractions of the world. And we have many, don't we? We have many. We, we, I use my, my device to pray. I have a, an app that helps me to pray. But what's the problem with that? Guess what happens when I'm praying? Emails and texts and alerts start coming in, and I can easily be drawn aside. And Jesus is saying, shut the door. Cordon yourself off so that you might pray to your Father who is in secret. You probably don't remember, and I didn't remember either, on what I preached the last Sunday of last year. I had to look it up, so I'm not holding this against you. But I preached on Bible reading. 
I preached about the Word of God. And that was the first year that we were going to try to read the New Testament together, and I urged us to be reading the Word of God. Well, now we have the companion to that. Uh, The companion to reading the Word of God is private prayer, is coming apart and addressing our Father in secret. And if you would say, Larry, what do you want most for the people in this church? I would say what I want most for the people in this church is that we would develop the habit of paying attention to Scripture daily and praying daily. Would you say, you mean those are the most important things in the Christian life? I don't know that the most important things in the Christian life, but those are practices that feed the Christian life. I won't rank those above sharing the gospel with others or gathering for public worship, but these are things that feed the Christian life. And there is a notable difference in my life, and there's a notable difference in lives of others when we either neglect the Word and prayer or when we give attention to the Word in prayer. So that is my my New Year's wish for all of us, that we would be in the Word and in prayer. Now, it's important that we learn to pray, not for the applause of others, because if we do that, we will be focusing on the wrong one when we're praying, but also we won't be ready if things turn around. Now think about these these activities. In our society, giving to the needy is still seen as a good thing to do, isn't it? We still honor those who are generous. We, We still like to have celebrations of those who give of their own means to others. Prayer is not necessarily a popular thing to do, but it's still, it still is included in many of our activities, isn't it? I often get invited to go to the town commission meetings in the town in which I live to give an invocation before the the government activities take place. And so still prayer is seen as something as that is a positive thing in our society. Fasting, we'll get to that in a second. Probably the least of the the three. But what happens if things turn, as they did in the time of Daniel? When Daniel, a young man who was taken into exile into Babylon, and he was a man who practiced prayer. And he did it set times every day. He, He would go to his room and he would pray. And he would pray with the window open, not to be seen by others, uh, but that was simply his practice. But he was seen by others. And his enemies encouraged the king to pass a law, flattering the king, saying, King, let's pass a law that no one can pray to anyone else except to you, O king, because you are most worthy. And the flattered king said, Okay, let's make that law. And he did. And then immediately they went to Daniel's and said, Oh, what you doing, Daniel? And what was he doing? He was praying. And they said to the king, King, didn't you just sign a law that nobody could, could pray except to you? And the king, yes, I did. Oh, Daniel, you know that, that exile from Judea? Daniel, he's praying to someone else other than you. And the king was trapped. So you, you may know the rest of the story. The punishment was the lion's den. Daniel was fine in the lion's den. And those who set him up, they didn't fare so well in the lion's den. But the point is this, Um, if we're doing it only because 
we're getting applause and appreciation. Oh, you're a person of prayer. That's wonderful. What happens when it turns? What happens when prayer becomes outlawed? What happens when prayer becomes despised? What happens when prayer becomes illegal? If we're doing it for the praise of others, then we're not going to be prayerful people anymore. So those are the first two. Uh, giving to the needy and praying. The third one, which is probably the most unusual for us, is in verse 16. But Jesus said, And when you fast, when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. Here they are again, the hypocrites. So what were they doing? They were giving to the needy with their trumpet blasts. They were praying on the, in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by men. And now, uh, when they were fasting, what were they doing? They were moping around. They weren't bathing. They wanted everybody to see how very dedicated they were. And um, they were gloomy and disfigured their faces. And Jesus says, you've received your reward, or they've received their reward. He says, but when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And once again, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the practice that is probably least practiced among us of the three, temporarily going without food. Uh, Now, let's think about these three categories. We think about giving to the needy, we think about prayer, and we think about fasting. These are representative activities. And we can think about the first one, giving to the needy, as love for neighbor. Everything we do in love for neighbor, we ought to do it not to get praise from others, but so that we might glorify God. Uh, And we can think about prayer. What is prayer? As we've already said, prayer is our our development of our own personal relationship with God, hearing His Word, speaking to Him. So everything we do in order to develop our relationship with God, He says, do that so that you might develop that relationship with God, No, not so that you might be seen doing it. Now, what is fasting, though? What does that cover? What's the, what's the category here? What, what's the dynamic of fasting? Fasting is denying ourselves a legitimate pleasure, a, a legitimate freedom that we have as Christians, that is to eat and to drink. And it's temporarily denying ourselves that in order to increase our hunger for God in order to devote ourselves to prayer and to focus on God and to say, God, I want you more than I want food. So we can think about giving to the needy, love for others. We can think about prayer, developing our relationship with God. And we we can think about fasting under the category of all the things that we do to deny ourselves and to increase our passion and devotion for God. And he says, when you do these things, all three of these things, make sure that you don't do them for the praise of others. Now, fasting is the one we probably practice least. I don't have, I couldn't find any statistics on it, so that means either we don't do it very much, or we're doing it so well that nobody knows about it. (laughs) You're shaking your heads. You think it's probably the former, right? Um, There's an early Christian manual an early Christian manual from the end of the first century. And the recommendation there is that Christians fast twice a week. Twice a week. So I I think we're very far from that. That's not in Scripture. That's an early Christian manual. But I'm just wanting you to know what some of our brethren did in the early days of the Christian church. It was a normal Christian practice to fast twice a week. 
So this is probably something, if we haven't, that we need to build into our habits uh, as we're able to. Some constitutionally are not able to because of health concerns, but as we're able to, to be able to say, God, I want you more than I want bread. I want, I want my hunger for you to be greater than my hunger for food. Now, in all of these cases, you saw the three, the three times that he says this contrast. If you look at verse 2, he says, They have received their reward. Verse 4, And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then once again, in verse 4, They have received their reward, the hypocrites. Uh, then verse 6, Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then in verse 16, They have received their reward. And then verse 18, And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And he says, these are, these are mutually exclusive categories. You may have one of these rewards, or you may have the other but you may not have both. You can have the reward of the hypocrites, that is the praise of others, and you will have all that you're going to get. Or, you can have the reward that your Father has for you. Now, I think none of us, as I told you to my shame, none of us are immune from wanting the applause of others, wanting the recognition of others for the the good things that we do. Social media is driven by that, isn't it? And, and we know the, the thrill of getting likes on our post, don't we? We know the thrill of sending out a text and getting texts back. We know the thrill of the, the, the thumbs up uh, and the, the this many hits on, on this post. And we know the, the crushing defeat of, of putting something brilliant up online that we're sure everybody will love and it gets absolutely no attention. And we know how that feels, don't we? And all of us have that that built in. That's how social media works so effectively. Because we crave those likes. But Jesus is saying here, put these in the balance. Put these in the balance. If that's what you crave, that's what you're going to get. And that's all that you're going to get. Now, is that what you want to have at the end of your life? Is that what you want to say you have? I had so many likes on Facebook. My Instagram posts, they were, they went viral. It says, if that's what you live for, that's what you're going to get. And we recognize how passing and superficial and ephemeral those are. Now, in contrast, this gets a little difficult here. In contrast, it says that your father who sees in secret will reward you. With what? And here, the New Testament usually or always slips into metaphor because the rewards that the Father has for us are so outrageous, are so generous, are so beyond our imagination that they're not described literally. They're described in metaphors. But they're metaphors of things like this. Thrones and kingdoms and treasures and cities and trees that produce never-ending fruit, and banquet, and reigning with Christ. Now, what does this all mean? I don't know yet, and I don't think anybody else does who is still here in the land of the living, but contrast these metaphors with a thumbs up on Facebook. These are substantial 
These are overwhelming. These are eternal. These are weighty. These are glorious. And Jesus is saying, put these in the balance, folks. What do you want to have at the end of your lives? Do you want to have thrones and kingdoms and cities and orchards and banquets and trees and treasures? Or do you want to have the praise of men and women? Now, I want to point out one more thing about these rewards, and that is that they are a matter of grace upon grace. You may know that world religions practice these same sort of things. And that's why some people look at Christianity and they look at world religions and they say, I don't know if you've heard this, you probably have, oh, they all teach basically the same thing. If you've ever been to university, you've heard that. You've probably heard that on the radio. You've probably heard that in conversations. They all are basically the same thing. And what they're looking at when they say that, they're looking at some of these practices. They're saying, uh, these religions, they pray, and Christians pray. These religions, they, they give alms, and Christians give to the needy. These religions, they fast, and Christians pray. So they're all basically the same thing. But you see, that's just a superficial look at it. If you dig down deeper, you will find that these religions are praying in order to gain God's favor. They are fasting in order to score points with God and to achieve His favor. And when they give to the needy, they are trying to accumulate merit so that God might be pleased with them. I'm not making that up. These three are three of the five basic practices of Islam. Praying, giving, and fasting. And they have two others. And why? It's so that in that great day, when they consider that they will stand before Allah, that maybe, there's no surety here, that maybe He will be pleased enough with them to let them into His kingdom. Do you see the motivation here? You see, the practices look similar, but the motivation is completely different. When we get to Christianity, we find that it is grace upon grace. Because all of these are practices that are God's gift to us in the first place. It is a gift that we have possessions that we can give away. Where did we get those in the first place? They're gifts of God. It is, it is a grace that God has given us, the, the privilege of speaking with Him. That is a gift to us. It is a gift that we have food, and that we have hunger, and that we can satisfy that hunger. It is a gift that we can say no to ourselves rather than indulging ourselves endlessly. These are all gifts of God. And they come to us because of the greatest gift of God. The greatest gift of God, Jesus Christ, who is the one who came, who lived, who died, who rose from the dead so that we might have God's favor. You see, we don't go into prayer trying to get God's favor. We don't give to the needy in order to try to get God's favor. We don't fast in order to try to secure God's favor. We do all of these things. Why? Because we have God's favor if we are in Christ. And how did we get that? He is the one who is pleasing to God. He is the one who has secured for us by His life, by His death, by His resurrection, God's favor to all who believe in Him. 
Now, I want you to see how this works. And this is phenomenal. He gives us these gifts. He gives us the gift of being able to give away. He gives us the gift of prayer. He gives us the gift of, of having hunger and food and devotion to Him. And then He says, if you practice these things, I will reward you still even more. So He gives us gifts, and then He rewards us for enjoying those gifts. Isn't that phenomenal? That's grace upon grace. That's giving a gift and then giving a gift because you've given a gift. And that's how it works in God's kingdom. And that's the difference. That's the difference that Christ makes. I've been reflecting as we've been enjoying time with family. And as I'm thinking about growing up here and then going away to college and so on, getting married and moving into another country and then coming back at Christmas and then going back to our homes. And now I have children that are doing that. And I remember as I was getting established as an adult and wanting to come home for Christmas, my parents would do things like this. Send me a check so that I could buy gas to drive home. Or they'd pay for my, my flight so that I could come visit over the holidays. And then when I was there, my mom would, would pull out all the stops and prepare the meals and and then we would get loaded with, with gifts. And now we're the ones saying, we'd love to have you come home. Could you come home? Well, I'm kind of tired. Well, we'll take care of the ticket. Don't worry. Just come home. And then we do the same thing. And then at the end of the vacation, it goes like this. Dad says to son. Mom says to daughter. Parents say to children, thank you so much for coming home. Thank you so much for coming home. Now think about that. It's grace upon grace. Why were they there in the first place? Who made it possible for the children to be home? Who lavished them with all the meals and all the gifts and the trips and the flights? Who did it? The parents did in many cases. And then they say to the kids, Thank you. Thank you so much for what you did for us in this vacation. What is that? It's grace upon grace. And why does God do that for us? The same reason that parents do that for their children. Because God delights in His children. He delights to pour grace upon grace upon grace. Let's pray. Our God... We thank You that You are the One who is gracious to us in Christ. We thank You that You gave us Christ and in Him You have given us Your favor. And that You have given us these gifts of being able to talk with You whenever we want. Given us means that we might give away. You've given us a hunger for food and You've satisfied us with food and You've given us a hunger for You and victory over our indulgence. Lord, we thank You for all these gifts and then You pour more gifts upon us if we practice them. Lord, we pray that in this year that we would not do our righteousness before others to be seen by them, but that we would be able to do the things You call us to do, that others might see Your work in us, sinners like us, saved by grace upon grace, They might marvel at what You've done in us and glorify You, our Father who is in heaven. And we thank You once again that You take delight in us. 
because of and only because of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.